Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, interviews with the living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week, coming to us from locally Phoenix, Arizona, is Mr. Xander Palmer. He moved here from his home state of Michigan uh, to pursue an educational opportunity, and now more than a decade later, he is a seasoned professional of science education. He also writes speculative fiction, of which I'm a huge fan. And he writes under the pen name of S.A. Palmer on Amazon. And as far as his religious philosophy, he was baptized and raised Catholic, but became an atheist in his mid-20s. Welcome, Xander. How are you doing? Oh, just great, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. It's a total pleasure. Um, And just for our audience's knowledge, I met Xander actually locally in a writing workshop uh, that we both participate in and actually kind of co-run now. So it's been a total pleasure to get to know him. But what always stood out to me is that he's very smart about everything, but especially science. And uh, he has not extreme opinions, but definitely strong opinions about religion. So I was excited to interview him. Uh, We had in episode five, I believe, our first atheist, and I believe you are our second atheist. So I'm actually gonna jump in right there. Why don't you kind of walk us through your uh, baptized Catholic childhood? Uh, How was that? What was that like? Okay, well, uh, well, I don't remember the baptism because, you know, they do it really young. Uh, But (laughs) but I I grew up, so my dad's side of the family was Catholic. Mom's side uh, was Lutheran. Uh, Then they decided to baptize me Catholic just because, I don't know, maybe my dad was worried he'd be written out of the will if he didn't. Um, That's not, maybe not exactly true. But um, but yeah, so we're baptized, me and my brother are both baptized Catholic. We actually attended Catholic school. Um, uh, for myself, it was kindergarten through eighth grade. Uh, switched to the public uh, high school um, when I uh, got to ninth grade, ma- mainly because they had like better programs and, you know, I was into music and tennis and the Catholic high school in the region just didn't really have much of that. It wasn't a good fit. So, yeah, so, but it, it's, but still, I was, you know, always, you know, attending church, doing it all the time, um, went through college, still involved in uh, campus ministries, all that stuff. So you were like pretty heavy into it if you were actually going to like youth ministries and stuff. Uh, on a personal level, were you going through the motions because the group and good vibes and stuff felt good? Or were you really philosophically tied into it and believing? Well, I mean, I was never one to just take everything uh, completely at face value. Like fr- from a young age, I, I, I kind of figured that you know, okay, the Book of Genesis. Uh, I, I was, I was pretty much never. I, I was never a Bible literalist. Let me put it that way. I was never like it was six literal days that the earth was made and that there was a flood that literally flooded the entire world I, I i got it i was never in that everything is you know the way it is and and also you know with with a lot of catholics it's also a case where you know you often will disagree with some of the edicts of the church and you kind of just fit in but it's like i definitely believed in the higher power i and it was you know it was also being part of a community which was very, very supportive. And I really, I really did appreciate, especially in college, it helped me a lot, that kind of support system there outside of that. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that was kind of me growing up in that. I mean, it sounds regard. very balanced, to be honest. It sounds like a good way to go through youth and everything. And then specifically in college, like, was it nice because you, you had a nat- natural network to make friends and stuff? Because, like, for me, for example, I went across the country to college 
and I was terribly bad at making friends at first, and it was really lonely. Well, for me, it wasn't too bad. I actually went locally to college, grew up in Kalamazoo, and I went to Kalamazoo College, which is, yeah, pretty much, you know, as much of a townie as you can get. So, yeah, but, but um, you know, always, I'd, I'd always wanted to, you know, study science, and it was really never a case where, oh, you know, I became a uh, atheist because, oh, you know, learning about science made it so that I questioned everything. Because like, like, I, like I mentioned before, I was never Bible literalist. I was never, you know, in that case. I was able to take my faith and adjust it based on what I learned in my classes and and uh, my training. So I would have to say that it's definitely a case where I've never been that way to be uh, completely, you know, dogmatic and never try to convert anyone else. You know, it was like, it was just, it was my business and that was good enough for me. For a while until later. <laughs> um, yeah, no, let's actually jump to that. What is the later? <laughs> I'm dying to know. So when I graduated from college, uh, the Michigan was not doing so hot economically. That was right at the end of that uh, Freddie Mae, Fannie Mac. But anyway, it was it hit Michigan pretty darn hard. And out of college, I was getting a couple of opportunities here and there, some uh, uh, work. But it was always contract, never let anywhere. Uh, that's when I did decide to start working on my teaching degree, get my uh, do uh, some work part time, uh, do some substitute teaching, and eventually to get completely certified. But again, Michigan turns out a whole lot of teachers and their universities, and it's kind of hard to break in. But Arizona, not so much. They will like to, at least at the time, I don't know if this is still true, but at the time, they heavily recruited states like Michigan for um, teachers to come over. So that's how I got recruited. They were like, hey, we need someone who can teach chemistry in some freshman science classes. Uh, we will pay you to move on out. And so I was like, oh, it's the best I got. I do have some family in Arizona. So I'm like, hey, I'll take the shot and I'm going to go for it. Um, but the, re- the place I went to where I settled in initially, uh, since moved from there, um, was very heavily Mormon Church of yeah so Church of uh, Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and I knew that I knew that going in, and I knew a little about Mormon philosophy and all of that, but also I knew they were very much into you know like there's there's a reason why you know when in the Mormon Church. You have to spend so much time actually going out spreading your faith. That's, you know, the people that you see on bicycles, you know, going from door to door. And I knew I'd be in contact with that. So I made the concerted effort to think, okay, when they come a calling, I need a good answer. I need to be able to say, okay, why is it that I can stay Catholic and why I do not believe in uh, the Mormon faith? Because I was like, this is going to happen. I'm going to have these conversations. It's just going to happen. And ultimately, um, because it it was just a case where, you know, as I was, you know, doing my job, I was also spending time, you know, reading up YouTube videos, everything with, you know, when it comes to like, you know, the history of the Mormon church. And there were some things that really kind of struck me when it comes to making a exception for yourself, while at the same time trying to mock or ridicule someone was different. So, for example, when you die, getting to, you know, the show. So 
of course, not to be overly simplistic on this because I know there are new, there is nuance and there is other things, but the standard line about the Mormon faith is that if you die in the Mormon faith, your afterlife is a planet that you inherit for yourself. And I'm not going to get into all of the specifics on that, but uh, that was kind of the main line when it comes to that. And at face value, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, that's just, that just sounded silly to me because that's, I'd never, heaven was, of course, a little bit more vague to me, but at the same time, it was like, okay, this just seems like it's something someone made up at some point because it sounded weird. But then as I went through the motions, I started, and then when I went through kind of the thoughts and started to really open up about this, I was thinking to myself, hmm, you know, heaven is always just so vague whenever my pastor would talk about it. You know, it's never a physical place. It's never up in the clouds because we've been there. It's, you know, it's not somewhere in the universe. It's like you could maybe argue it's in some other plane or some other uh, dimension. But at least I know what a planet is. NASA discovers planets all the time they exist, and there are many, 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 many of them, more planets than there are people on, the, on Earth. And this also, if you really want to stretch, you could then say, well, maybe this has predictive powers. Like, why have we never come in contact with a sophisticated alien race? Well, all those planets are being taken up by the people who are going to die. Now, before I get too far, of course, no, I do not accept this. Otherwise, I would be Mormon. But you could kind of see where this was taking my mind, where it comes to, okay, um, just because one idea is newer, you know, when it comes to, like, the Mormons. Mormons came on the scene, like, much later. They were 19th century after the Enlightenment. So, you know, they were running up against the already established... Um, uh, traditions at the time, uh, Catholicism, Protestantism, you know, uh, Judaism, Muslims, uh, etc. And it really came down to the question of, well, if I use the same, uh, if I use the same standards of evidence that I use to judge the Mormons, that I use to judge my own religion. I really can't justify a lot of the claims there was what ultimately came to me. So for a while, then I was, you know, not, I, I was hesitant to call myself atheist really at the time, but I, I was on my way at that point. It was a question of really, it was just a question to me of trying to be intellectually honest with myself about um, those types of beliefs. Uh, actually, and this is, you know, for people who have read my book, Plugo Plugo, Suboptimized, available now on Amazon. Um, but in the, in the acknowledgments, I very clearly thank the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. That is not a glib little remark. If it wasn't for that pressure, if it wasn't for the fact that something was actually challenging me, pushing me out of that comfort zone, I don't know. Maybe I would still be Catholic today. I, I don't know. Again, it's impossible to predict 
where things take a turn. But really, it's kind of it's kind of a case where the more you learn about certain faiths, the less likely it is you are to be um, fanatical in favor of one of them, at the very least. I uh, wow, yeah. As a host of a show where I listen to people of all faiths who are not maybe fanatical, but you know, into it, I totally agree. It's like I respect everyone more, and then I don't feel as choosy or choice. I don't even know the word for it about anyone. Yeah, and actually, I want to interrupt just to ask you because you said something really profound to me. But um, you said like I, if I didn't get exposed to the um, Church of Latter Day Saints, I would, I might still be Catholic. What would be, in just your opinion now, the harm if you remained Catholic? Hey, everyone. If you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. So I would have probably just been kind of Catholic in name and, you know, similar to that. But at some point, there's also the question, which is something that I did wrestle with before I got that is, you know, you can't really ignore some of the issues with the organization. When, when, I, when, I say, when I say sometimes that I have problems with, you know, religious religions, it's never a case where I have a problem with an individual adherence. You know, oftentimes, you know, they join for different reasons. They have different beliefs. But if you're up on the food chain, if you are starting to have, you know, significant impacts on other people's lives and it's kind of and you're not basing it on the best of intentions for whatever reason. And the Catholic Church has a long history. You don't even have to go into a long history. You go into recent history of some of the things that uh uh, higher up members of the Catholic Church has been uh, accused of doing. And that's not really something I could ignore. So maybe at some point, I probably would have dropped, you know, would have fallen further away from the Catholic Church. Would I still be an atheist? Again, who knows? But, you know, it's, it's, it's strange, you know, it's hard to pick out, you know, what you believe. Can't really pick and choose the thing you want to believe it's based on the evidence it's based on what you are willing to accept yeah and so actually with your family specifically uh you mentioned you had a brother and your parents how did they take you becoming an atheist are they all okay with it uh well my brother was pretty much in the same boat as i was my parents were pretty cool about it at the time i, I did make the conscious choice that um at the time when i was starting to fall out um my grandmother was toward the end of her life suffering from dementia so i made the decision okay i'm gonna keep this under a lid because she was because she was proud lutheran and you know i'm not gonna drop this on her in the last moments so yeah so that was yeah that was that was of course the case after that as more of my family knew it's just a case where you know they they understand where i'm coming from they might not agree with that but like I said, my family has never really been, um, in that case, like really tightly wound in with religion. Oftentimes it's been more of a social thing. It's been more of a community thing. So, you know, that's, that's, just, that's just the case. That's just how it kind of rolls. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's uh, yeah, there's never any really worries about that. 
What about um, as an educator, does it ever come up in the classroom? Like has a student ever asked you just like inappropriately or appropriately, like what is your religion or do you like believe in God? Oh, sure. Kids, kids are kids. Uh, my, my students are just naturally uh, curious. What age do you teach again? Uh, most of the high school sciences I've, teach, I've taught biology, chemistry, environmental, anatomy. I used to teach physics. That's not really my... Uh, Strong suit. My my degrees in chemistry and biochemistry, so I I tend to shy away from physics. But uh, yeah, there's, there's just weird things like that happen in class. And for the most part, you know, I'm pretty good about you know I've always taught in you know secular school, so it's never an issue um, when it comes to that. The one time I did slip up just a tiny bit. Uh, we were talking about water tension and you know the ability for like insects to walk on water. <laughs> And then the question came, well, what about a person? Could you do that? Uh, no, it's, you know, it's your gravity. Uh, you weigh too much. So that was the case. And one kid chimed in and said, well, one person did it 2,000 years ago. And I said one word, allegedly. And that, that was apparently, I backtracked, but, you know, that was, that was probably, that was probably the one time I'd maybe slipped up just a tiny bit. That's cool. And I, I want to keep asking you probing questions only because I grew up in a place where atheism is like, acceptable and and loved by most people and then now i live you know with you in the phoenix valley area where people just there's a lot of religion here so it's not bad or good but i just anticipate because i I, you know i've said this on different episodes but it's one thing to say you're not sure it's another to say no no no, i'm sure there's nothing out there and that's what atheism is and i have no problem with that but it is it is definitely saying to people of religious faith like i don't agree with you so you know i do want to ask about these perceptible things, would it be an issue for you to date and or marry someone who was like really strongly religious? If they can accept me, uh, it's really fine. I mean, as long as those uh, beliefs don't try to seep in like to everything. And of course, well, I don't know if it was kids, it'd be a different story. But but the way the way I see atheism really is, is not so much about, you know, you're virulently anti-god we need to destroy every single thing it's more I, I i equate it more to being like on a jury have you ever done jury duty before yes yes actually a really serious trial once oh did you actually get to the penalty phase where you had to vote at the end oh yeah no it was it was a international like kidnapping fiasco with violence i mean it was terrible yeah oh fun <laughs> fun but in the end in the end, don't, you don't don't worry about you know sharing. But in the end, you got two choices: it's guilty or not guilty. Of course, if there's just one charge, um, not guilty or innocent. You never try to prove someone innocent. It's just okay. The evidence just doesn't isn't enough to convict. Well, being an atheist is okay. You're on a special trial. The defendant is God, who is not present because he is being charged with the crime of existence. And if you find him guilty, I guess there's so many acts of God, he's going to be opened up to so many lawsuits, it's going to be ridiculous. But anyway, the, uh, if you go through that trial and you look at the evidence, if you vote not guilty, then you're an atheist. Doesn't mean God is innocent of existence, it just means with the evidence I have right now, I'm not willing to convict. I am not willing to, uh, co- to commit my life to that, which I find insufficient evidence. Um, and that's really how atheism really jives for me. That if, if there was a definition of a God or a definition of an afterlife, 
that I could accept, I wouldn't be an atheist anymore. But so far, that's uh, the way it is. That was a brilliant answer, and that was very, very uh, respectful in my opinion. And I hope that people listening really think long and hard about that because that is such a great way to like make peace with the greater world. Because I think more people on Earth are de defined by religion than not. So it's it's actually weird that people take so much uh, that people <laughs> get angry at atheists because you're like a super minority. Um, and I'm saying you because I'm not an atheist. I'm also not of a religion. So I'm, I'm, I don't even know what the word is for me. I'm not agnostic. But speaking of all these words, uh, I do have to ask because it's coffin talk and we ask every single guest. Um, since you're an atheist and since you were a Catholic, I'm sure you have a cr pretty different answer than most. Uh, what do you think is going to happen to you specifically when you die? Well, eventually my cells will be unable to uh, transfer oxygen and carbon dioxide in the way it needs to. Because if that doesn't happen, then it can no longer create ATP, which is the powerhouse that um, your mitochondria uh, create that so that your cells can keep working. Eventually your body will shut, my body will shut down. The uh, brain will stop functioning and entropy takes over and my molecules and atoms will be spread out to the all corners of the universe. That is not the, I know that is not the satisfying answer you want. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm fine with it. I'm just more curious about your, your take on consciousness. Really all starts with the brain. Your brain is a complicated, complicated thing. I'm not saying, and here's the thing, I don't want to claim that I know everything about the brain because anyone who says that is a big fat liar because everyone is, there's still much to learn about this gray matter that uh, controls everything. And as a result, so the question of, okay, is there some kind of consciousness that can live out beyond the brain, that somehow can supersede the brain, leave the brain, become elsewhere? I answer that with the scariest three-word sentence in the English language. I don't know. That is the scariest thing. And ultimately, and here's, I've, I've often thought about this in this question, because I think this is kind of one of the sticking points as to why people will stay in religion. It's the question of, okay, you know, am I going to be annihilated? Uh, certain traditions might say, oh, you're going to be punished for your disbelief, uh, a literal hell. Um, and it depends. There, there, are some, there are some groups that say, uh, no, hell isn't a thing. You just get annihilated. There's disconnection from God, whatever. And then there's also the question of, okay, well, what about if you are going to miss out on this? This was called Pascal's wager. It's, oh, okay. I might as well believe in God because if I'm wrong, so what? It's over. But if I'm right, I get eternal reward. I see two big problems with that. Number one, which God or which faith are you going to believe in? Because that is a very big question. Uh, you, you, you said, you said um, that atheists are a minority. I would agree with you. But worldwide... Every religion is a minority. There is no religion that is over the 50% mark worldwide. Maybe locally, you're in the majority. In the United States, if you're Christian, if you're in Israel and you're a Jew, or you're in Saudi Arabia and you're Muslim. But worldwide, the majority of people disagree with you, um, no matter what it is. And I find that 
I find that unsettling that maybe one of them is the one that if, if it is a case where one of them is the right one, you know, well, Zoroastrians got it right. Sorry, everybody else um, would be the case. Um, but then the second point I would say, and why I am actually comfortable with the whole question of, okay, well, when you die, it's over, there's nothing else. If you want an eternal life, careful what you wish for. When I think of what it means to be human, what it means to, you know, all of my experiences and the experiences of everyone on this planet, no matter who you are, no matter how rich, how poor, where you were born, uh, your gender, uh, your preferences, whatever they are, there are some universal things. You have limited time and things are not always going to go right for you. I mean, I, I, I don't think that's super profound. I think everyone in the world to some degree or another is going to find those two things are going to be true for them. If you are suddenly, your consciousness or whatever you are, are suddenly thrust into a new reality where everything's wonderful, there is no pain, there is no problems, and you have literally forever to exist, that's not heaven to me. That is the definition of hell for me. It's a case where you are stuck. There's really nothing that you can accomplish, nothing that there's really no motivation for you to do anything because, hey, I've got all eternity, whatever, I don't care. I could do whatever. Um, there's no reason for you to really be nice to anyone. There's no reason for you to, you know, help anyone. There's no reason to make your life your own. You don't have anything to motivate you at all. I've actually written about this in some other manuscripts that I'm kind of working on right now. I was going to ask you, I, I workshop with you and it sounds sort of familiar. And actually, I did want to segue because we do have to go soon, but I wanted to yet again mentioned that um, your book, uh, Suboptimized, is excellent. It's not just good, it's excellent. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I've read it actually twice technically, but um, it's it's a really good novel. I hope our audience checks it out. But I would like you to talk real quick, um, not about your writing process, but what what are your goals with like readers reading your work and stuff? Like, Do you have any like larger goals with that side of your life? Because it's a pretty big part of your life. Yeah, um, you know, I've, I've started to do this, you know, um, to explore some of the bigger questions. Death is, is one of them. I've, you know, written about, I, I tend to have a tendency to, you know, kill off some of my characters. That's just kind of in the genre that I, I write in. But I never do it lightly. I always like to think of death as, you know, a, is something permanent. Or if you can reverse it, it's not at some cost. I, I'm really against the trope of, oh, just magical resurrection and everything's fine and when i when i think about that in terms of death in general value what you have whether it's writing whether it's whatever value what you have because you don't know when it's going to be gone call your parents call your grandparents if they're still with you know that um even if there is something afterwards don't live your life expecting it think about how you can make your life the best now. And so even if there is 
something afterwards, even if you do get to like, you know, just a little time afterwards, some consciousness of you does survive. Uh, you can know that you did all you could in this world. It's, it's a tough ask for a lot of people. It's a tough ask for me sometimes. But I think if everyone lived a little bit more like that, it'd be a net good. Yes, I, I think there's no better note to go out on than that. So to our audience listening at home, you've been listening to the wit and wisdom of Xander Palmer. And I would like to stress that uh, his novels are very funny as well as excellent and serious and good reads. So if you're looking for something that's easy to digest, but also profound and humorous, I suggest you go to his website and check out his only book that's available right now, but I'm sure more are coming in the future. And thank you for helping us put another nail in the coffin. And to our audience listening at home, please head over to MikeyOp.com and subscribe for free to the package that comes out once a week with announcements for the uh, podcast and essays and other things like that. And uh, if you don't feel like doing any of that, we don't care. Just listen to the show and maybe recommend it to a friend. We love you no matter what. And you have been listening to another episode of Coffin Talk. My name is Mike Oppenheim, and we will see you soon.